Thank you for being here. I want to continue with this series, Who is This Man? Because in the Gospel of Mark, he records every miracle that Jesus ever did. And I have been preaching on this series so that you become aware of who Jesus is today in your life. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Give him another hand of praise. <clears throat> so tonight we're looking at Mark chapter 8, verse 23 through 26. And this is another blind man that Jesus healed. And so tonight we're looking at what are the things of God that you do not clearly see? They came to Bethsaida, and this is an important place, and I'll tell you why. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside of the village. That's the second important thing. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back into the village. The thing that, well, never mind, I won't say it that way, but the part that was left out is that when Jesus asked him, do you see everything clearly? He said, I see men as trees walking. When he looked at Jesus' disciples, he said, I see men as trees. Now that tells us two things. One, he obviously wasn't born blind because how would he know what trees were? The second thing in this scripture is people read that and they're under the belief that Jesus does partial healings. He doesn't do complete healings. That he starts a healing and it's gradual. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no sickness that Satan can throw on any of God's children that Jesus has to do a gradual healing. Because I've heard even people say, hey, what happened tonight? We prayed over you last night. Well, God's gradually healing me. That's not true. God does not need to do a gradual healing. When he says, be healed, how many know you are healed? Okay, so it's not a gradual thing. And I want you to understand that. So why then should this scripture be interesting to, interesting to us? I need for you to know something about Bethsaida and then about blindness. Jesus said, woe unto you, Bethsaida and Chorazin, for had the same miracles be done in you as were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long time ago. Bethsaida didn't want Jesus there. They didn't have the faith and the love for Jesus. So when Jesus went through Bethsaida, the people brought him someone that was blind. And the reason he took him out of the city to do a private healing with him with his disciples was because the people didn't want Jesus there. And I need you to understand, I don't expect that you would know this unless you studied this, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And the 12 disciples still had not got it through their mind who he was. This is why he had to ask them, who do men say that I am? And he asked them, who do you say that I am? But prior to this miracle, prior to them coming to Bethsaida, Jesus had opened some deaf ears of a man and loosed his tongue. The man was deaf and mute. Jesus healed him. The disciples saw that. 
Then Jesus fed 4,000 men, not counting women and children, with seven loaves of bread and two fish, just like he had done the miracle of 5,000, and the disciples saw that. Then they come to Bethsaida, which doesn't want any miracles there. They don't even want Jesus in their town, and the disciples see him do a healing, but it was gradual. And the reason Jesus did that is he is wanting to teach his disciples about who he is because he only has a few days left. Because when he gets to Jerusalem, which is his next stop, they're going to take him, they're going to whip him, they're going to beat him, they're going to crucify him on a cross, and he will die for our sins. So he only has a few more days to make sure that these 12 men that he has chosen know who he is. Hence, my message, what things do you not see clearly about Jesus? So in the context of Mark 7:31 through 8:26, and particularly because of Jesus' concentration on the hard-heartedness of his disciples, the man's answer may contain a point of concern or comparison with their narrow and their dim understanding of Jesus. Like the half-healed man, they see him only as a good prophet, a good teacher. They still did not grasp that he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And these 12, actually 11, because Judas betrayed him, these 12 are going to bring us all the New Testament about Jesus Christ. And it is because of what these people wrote that you and I are in church today and we believe in Jesus. So in Bethsaida, we could say it's San Jose for that reason. They don't want Jesus. The disciples see Jesus as the man sees people merely like trees walking. Jesus may thus intentionally heal the man in two stages in order to emphasize this very fact. They did not recognize Jesus as the Son of God. He fed 5,000, he fed 4,000, he opened blinded eyes and deaf ears, and they still did not recognize who he was. So now you understand what's behind this miracle. Do not take scripture and say, so Jesus does gradual healing. And if someone says, I'm not quite healed because Jesus is gradually healing me, that's a lie. How many heard what I said? Jesus does not do gradual healings. Come on, come on, come on. He has, he has the power to do a complete healing. So why he did that was because of the hardness of the heart of his disciples. Now, sight was a widely used metaphor for understanding. You and I have said, when we said, do you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, I see it now. So sight is a metaphor for understanding. This miracle depicts the correct but incomplete understanding of the disciples. And that's what I'm going to show you tonight. What about being a Christian do you have as an incomplete understanding? There is symbolic truth here. No man, none of us see all of God's truth at once. One of the dangers of a certain type of evangelism is that it encourages the idea that when a person has taken his decision for Christ, he's a full-grown Christian. How many know that's not true? Two of you, thank you so much. 
So I don't think you understand me, so I'm going to try that again. One of the dangers of a certain type of evangelism is that it encourages the idea that when a man has taken his decision for Christ, he is automatically a full-grown Christian. That is not true. Once you get saved, you don't know everything. Once you get saved, you don't fully understand the Bible. I know a few of you do, but you don't. You don't understand what tithing is. You want to go win the world because you think you understand, but you don't. Your sight is not fully there. One of the dangers of church membership is that it can be presented in such a way as to imply that when a person becomes a pledged member of the church, he has come to the end of the road. He's arrived. I've been a Christian 50 years. I have not arrived. I'm not there yet. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's not our fault. <laughs> and again, that's one of the things you don't understand. I'm still learning. I'm still finding out about Jesus. I'm still understanding scripture. You never get to a point where, well, you don't have to read this anymore. You know everything. No, you don't. You think you know everything. So from that being the case, they are the discovery of the riches of Christ which are inexhaustible. There's things about Jesus we still haven't seen. We're still finding out. And if a man or a woman lived a hundred or a thousand or a million years, he would still have to go on growing in grace and learning more and more about the infinite wonder and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Even in heaven, you will not know everything about who Jesus is. First John says, and we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him even as he is. He's going to give us a new name on a rock. He's gonna put his name on our forehead. When we get to heaven, there's things about heaven we don't even know. I know again, some of you know everything, but we're praying for you, brother, okay? We want you to understand. How many of you know you still need to grow in Christ? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, give him a hand of praise. So once you say, I've arrived, I've grown enough in Christ, you haven't. You just lost 10 spaces, you're moving back. I just told a person in my office, right now, right this very instant, I am no closer to Christ than you are. If you are clinging to the cross, you're gonna look on the other side of the cross and say, Pastor Mike, what are you doing here? I am clinging to the same cross. So no one walks into heaven and gets a trophy or gets a certificate because of all you know. We are gonna spend eternity knowing, knowing, learning, and growing because God, the Bible says, is past finding out. When you think you know everything about him, you've been listening to Satan. We are gonna spend eternity getting to know more and more and more. Come on, about Jesus Christ. Okay, now that's clear. So I got that across to you. So Bethsaida was blind. Bethsaida, that city, was blind. In Luke chapter 10, verse 13 and 14, it says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and in ashes. 
but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. So Jesus pronounced judgment on Bethsaida for its lack of response to his message and his miracles. He heals a blind man and they go like, whatever. Can you just move on now and get on to Jerusalem and leave us alone? Really? Whatever. Get rid of prayer in the schools. You're forbidden to pray at football games. You're forbidden to acknowledge Jesus and don't ever mention his name. Who do you think you are? Who's running this world? Let me ask you a question. Whose air are you breathing? Whose water did you drink? Who gave you sleep? Who provides your food? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't be telling us, his children, don't pray. I don't know where you think you come from, but I can pray wherever and whenever I want to. Not only was Bethsaida not interested, there was the least bit of concern of where they needed to change. The least bit of concern. We don't need to change to become like Jesus. And that's creeping in and has crept into California. I'm not going to talk about all the other 49 states, but it's also crept into this city and the county of Santa Clara. We don't need Jesus Christ. And you see it happening wherever you go. Look at the laws that they're passing Look at what they're wanting to teach our children and grandchildren in the schools. This can be called apathy or indifference. Do you know what Jesus had to say about such an attitude? In Revelation, he said to the angel or the messenger of the church in Laodicea, write, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. It is one of the worst detriments to happen to a child of God when you become blind. Where Satan has blinded you, you're walking in darkness. You have to say, you still don't understand that Jesus can handle that? You still don't understand that God can restore what you've lost? You still don't understand that he's not angry with you? You still don't understand you can get off those addictions, get out of debt, be healed, and walk in faith? Come on, you still don't understand? How much more do you have to see before you finally admit he can do what he said he can do because he is who he said he is. He rose from the dead, church. And other people rose from the dead, but they died again. Just like Lazarus, he rose from the dead. Jesus brought him back, but he died again. Jesus never died again. This man says, when Jesus, the reason Jesus put spittle in his hand and touched the spittle with his finger. It wasn't the spit of Jesus that healed the blind man. Bethsaida was a place like a desert with dust, sand blowing all the time. And they don't have the things we have today, so when the sand would get in their eyes and then the glare of the sun, a crust would develop on their eyelids, and their eyes would be closed. 
And that could have been why the man said, I see them walking his trees, because he wasn't born blind. But Jesus touched the pupil of his eye. And you wouldn't have wanted your eye to be touched with somebody's dried out, dirty finger, would you? I don't think so. So Jesus put spit on his hand, touched it, and then touched the eyes of the man. Just so you understand that. He could see their form and features when Jesus prayed. What do you see now? He obviously was not born blind because he knew what trees were and how they looked. That was the first phase of his healing, not yours. Then Jesus put his hands on the man, man's eyes and he could see clearly. His sight was completely restored. That's what you need to have. That's what I need to have. Though our Lord did not by this intend to teach any lesson in regard to the way in which the mind of a sinner is enlightened, yet it affords a striking illustration. Question. What do you think has caused your blindness? What is it that you don't grasp? What is it that you don't understand about what God can do? Why is it that Christians are more afraid of a demon than they are of the Holy Spirit? Why is it that Christians want to tell a pastor everything the demon did, but they don't want to talk about what the Holy Spirit did? People tell me what the demon did. I go, excuse me, I don't give a rip about what a demon did. Who's a demon? Well, his name is, I don't care what his name is. I just don't care about what a demon did. If you want to talk to me about power, talk to me about the Holy Spirit of God. You, you tell me what God can do. You build up my faith. You get my faith going, I'm going to get your faith going. Tell me what God can do. Don't tell me about your problem. You don't know how bad it is. I don't care how bad it is, and you shouldn't care. And God wants to heal you. You want to say, you know what? You don't understand. There are things I don't understand, but there are things I do understand. You know what we're doing today? We get a doctor's report, and it, it goes against our faith, and we sometimes believe what the doctor's report said, and we don't add to that what the Son of God said. That's a challenge to your faith. Because if you know God can heal, or why do we Google stuff and consider that as more important than this right here? And why is it now you have, I do, I have the Bible on my iPad, the Bible on my iPhone, but why is it then we still don't read the Bible. We used to have it on cassette tape, then on CDs. Now it's on radio, television, and this computer equipment. And we still don't know the Word of God. So I ask again, what do you think has caused your blindness? Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Thank you. Don't yell at me. I'll go down there. Okay, hear me. Sinners are by nature blind. 
2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. When you first get saved, the light comes on. And now you see what others see. The inf- <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> I'm not gonna scold you, but what's so funny to me is when I want you to clap, you don't clap, and when I don't want you to clap, you start clapping. That's why sometimes I say, church, come on, give God a hand of praise. And then when I'm just reading something, then you say, why, why are they clapping? <laughs> Here we go. The influence of the Holy Spirit is to open the eyes, to show the sinner his condition and his danger, and to lead him to look on him whom he has pierced. Yet at first, he sees indistinctly. He does not soon learn to distinguish objects. When converted, the sinner is placed in a new world. Light is shed on every object, and he sees the scriptures, he sees the Savior, the works of creation, the sun, the stars and hills, and the valleys in a new light. He sees the beauty of the plan of salvation, and he wonders why he didn't see it that way before. Yet, he sees at first indistinctly, like the guy I see in his trees. It is only by repeated applications to the source of light that he sees all things clearly. What are you talking about? This. We have an unwillingness to see as God sees. We obviously know better. Let me inform you, however, that blind eyes can cry. When the consequence of your rejection of God's truth is made evident, the only reaction is tears of sorrow for willful disobedience. They told you that was wrong, and you didn't stop. They told you you shouldn't be doing that, and you didn't change because you thought you knew better because your eyes had not been opened. I didn't know I needed a savior. I had no idea I needed a savior. I was like everyone else, and I said, when they go, where were you gonna, when you die? I go, well, me and all my friends are going to hell, and we are gonna party. Then they said, show me where that's at in here. There's no party. You don't see anyone in hell. Hell is darkness. There is no light. It is so dark you cannot see your hand in front of your face. And you never see another person. You are in total darkness. Second thing, we have difficulty seeing God's plan for love. That premarital and extramarital sexual involvement destroys the blessedness of God's plan for marriage. We feel God is unnecessary, and so we choose to live together before being married because our eyes haven't been opened, and we know everything. 
We are blinded to the murder of innocent babies and give it, even give it a more sophisticated classification. What was once called murder is now called abortion. God gives life, we take it away. Our eyes haven't been opened. We are blindfolded to God's plan for prosperity to take care of our families. And we challenge his right to even request that we follow his plan for finances and to give him 10%. We challenge him and say that it's the Old Testament and it doesn't apply to us. We still don't understand until we create bondage or we create problems for ourselves, And then we wanna come to the church and argue with the pastor about how God can be so cruel. And the pastor says, what are you talking about? God has never been cruel. It's your understanding, you don't wanna obey him. Well, it's so hard to be a Christian. I've been a Christian 50 years and I'm not complaining. It's not hard. Well, you don't know him and his love. You need his love just like I do. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, see? So you're gonna say, you got all of that out of that scripture about Bethsaida? Yes, I studied and I researched over 10 commentaries, 10 of them, books to find out what was Mark, the apostle Mark writing about. Why did he write about Bethsaida? Why did he write about a gradual healing? Why did the blind man say, I see men walking as trees? Why is that there? Because sometimes we just read right through it. Oh, what a beautiful story. But we don't understand. So then I get to a point where I think it's okay to grab my wife's hair and slap her and say, you need to do what I said. That's not in the Bible. Well, she doesn't understand. It's you that don't understand. You see what I'm talking about? And then when I wind up in prison, bro, what'd you do? Oh, God put me here. God didn't put you in prison. You did that to yourself. There are some people who think that they know all there is to know about everything. That is one of the curses of some of our good Bible teaching churches. I read this. And I quote, I was a pastor for a great many years and I had members who never bothered to come to midweek Bible study. And do you know why this writer said? Because they already knew more than I did. While that may have been true, the tragic thing was they thought they knew more than they actually knew. And do you know, the more that you know, the more you should realize that you don't know. I'm gonna say it again. Because no one on this side said amen. <laughs> the more that you know, the more you should realize that you don't know. Amen. All right, watch. You have an excellent mechanic, and he knows how to adjust your carburetor, and he knows how to do all that. But would you trust him to do open-heart surgery on you? No. no. Or would you trust your doctor to tune up your car? No, but I mean, but he's one of the greatest surgeons. But he knows that, but he doesn't know everything. The more you know, the more you realize, I don't know. And so if God 
let you got, get saved and didn't take you home immediately, so he left you here, don't you think it was so that you could learn? So that you could read the word? Come on. The Bible says, the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. And love is the means of obtaining true knowledge, the highest knowledge. Because if you have so much knowledge, then how come you don't love like God loves? How come you don't love other people like God loves them? Why is there racism? Why is there prejudice? What are the things of God that you do not clearly see? We can be judgmental. Do you and I need to be more forgiving? We can be critical. Do we need to start showing mercy? Have we become more Christ-like, or are we, after all, all these years of calling ourselves Christian, still like we were before becoming a Christian? Have we lost our desire to read the Word of God daily and to pray? Revelation 3.18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see because you're blind. What do I have to ask you to ask God to open your eyes about? There's one thing that I hesitate to pray there's a verse of scripture that says, Lord, open my eyes and show me where I need to grow, where I need to mature. And the reason I don't do it is because I realize I'm not there yet. I'm not putting a curse on you that if everything's going good that you better get ready because it's going to get bad but the last trial you had what did you learn from it did you learn that God will always take care of you that God is merciful that God is kind that no matter what problem you have he can solve it well Pastor Jeremy plays this song I'm gonna ask you to contemplate where you're blind and the things that you still don't see. And then I'm gonna ask you to ask Jesus to open your eyes. Pastor. Do you know when you and I get to heaven, your name will be called and you will be given rewards, not awards, but rewards. Rewards for faithfulness, rewards for loyalty, for obedience. And you know when that ceremony is over, that all of us are going to take all these rewards, all these crowns, and we're going to cast them back at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to say, you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy to receive all this praise. Come on. And all this honor and all this glory. And we're going to realize that none of us are worthy to receive any crowns. Only Jesus. And so 
I counsel you to seek the Holy Spirit starting tonight and to ask God, open my eyes that I may behold the wonders of your law. Open my eyes that it may be revealed to me by your Spirit who you really are so that I will stop fearing. I will learn to not fear, but I will learn to have faith in the one true God. Open my eyes that I can see everything that you have provided for me so I can give you thanksgiving and glory. You are my Savior. You are my God. You are the only Savior, and I belong to you. I love you, church. Good night. God bless you.